Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. It's uh, Roxanne Durhodge of Authentic Living with Roxanne. Thanks for joining me again today. Today, I have a special guest, Karen Messina, uh, here with us. And Karen has done a lot of fantastic work in, in, the, in the field of psychology and um, has published several books. So, Karen, thanks so much for coming on today. Thank you very and much for asking me. It's a pleasure. Thank you. So I'm going to read a little bit about her bio, but the most of it will be in the show notes. If you missed anything, everything's going to be in there. She, uh, her first book was uh, published by Rutledge in 2019 and it was titled misogyny, projective identification and mentalization, all big words. We're going to talk about all that, the psychoanalytic social and institutional manifestations. And her second book was um, published by international psychotherapy Institute Aftermath, Healing from the Trump Presidency, which I'm sure there's a lot of need for that, not just uh, obviously in the US where Karen's located, but of course, uh, globally, I think it's impacted uh, so, so many people. Um, and her fourth book, it's, it's Not Me, It's You, How Narcissists Get What They Want and How to Stop Them. And it focuses on relationships between narcissists and projective identification, and it'll be available in 2022. So maybe Karen, you might have to come back and uh, visit us again um, at a time. So Karen, tell me, okay, so tell me a little bit about, you know, did you always want to do psychotherapy? Was that something that you kind of grew up knowing that you wanted to do or kind of what is your story about uh, and your process and the doing the kind of work that you do? Well, I grew up in the Florida Keys at a time when it was safe to roam and be curious and had a little boat that I would take to a little island. And it, it was okay to do that sort of thing. And um, parents are so worried and, and rightfully so, I understand it, but um, I had very loving parents. I was an only child and, and had a lot of opportunity to be curious. And as I said, to explore. And um, I somehow, I used to climb trees a lot too and, and think as, as much as a little kid. Uh, I don't know how confound these thoughts were, but uh, I, I figured out, my father had a restaurant and people were either coming to the Keys to go to something or to get away from something in the Northwest or wherever. And so I sat and listened to people talk. And I realized that everything, or this is what I thought as a child, and I still believe this, that everything a person is, is an accumulation of their experiences up to that very, any moment in time. So somehow I read some book about some helping person. I, I don't know if they had books about psychologists then, but I thought yeah, I, I, helping people by listening and, and somehow it just caught my attention since I was probably in the fourth or fifth grade. Oh, a long, a long time then. So yeah. you figured out something that a lot of people struggle with for a very long time and what path they're going to take. It's the trees. just <laughs> It's the trees in the ocean. And I've been to the Keys and I could see 
how exploring as there, I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago and the same thing um, in the islands, you know, just roaming and uh, yeah. you know, the, the, the sea and the, you know, the sand and the shells, all that stuff. And just, like fear. yeah, yeah. It, it's just a, a, an amazing place to kind of evolve, especially with a young mind. Uh, and I absolutely love the keys as well. So let's let's talk a little bit about kind of the I'm going to say the space we're in, Karen. And you know, you and I we, we sit behind closed doors and we talk to people uh, about the deepest, darkest things that are happening in their lives. And I often say it's a privilege that you know when you really stop and think what we do, we we really do have a lot of responsibility in really creating a space that allows people to be themselves. Absolutely. And I'm gonna to talk to you a little bit, uh, before Karen and I got on, we were talking a little bit about kind of the space we're in, the time we're in 2020, 2021, and kind of, you know, the whole concept of the space that the world is in. So Karen, I want you to kind of give me a sense of what you're thinking with between obviously your past presidency and that time and that the chaos, um, the global pandemic and the impact on, on every one of us, like where I am, we're in a, uh, a second lockdown, um, but the violence and the you know um, unfortunate things we're seeing with race and just the, you know, the fear state that people are living in. What, how do you find that that's affecting uh, people in your space uh, that you see? Absolutely. That's a very good question. I think people are really scared and they're anxious. And part of that has to do with living in a time that nobody's lived in before. COVID created a sort of a base for that. And then what happened with the election and what, what's happening now with all the overt racism that's been there all along. But it, there's now something that's more palpable about it. So I think people want to get involved, but I think there are some who are hesitant because they don't exactly know how to do that. I think the most important thing um, is that people want to heal from the damage that was created during the Trump administration. Um, and Donald Trump didn't start all of this. He's, he's not the person who invented racism, but somehow I think that people were given, a, uh, they were given permission to say things that they wouldn't have said before. They might've thought some racist things, but a lot of people wouldn't have said it. And I, I say to people sometimes that it's as if they got a license, mm -hmm. got a license to be more violent. They got a license to be more abusive. They got a license to say whatever they want to, to people from other countries. And so I think that somehow we have to come together and heal as a nation. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's actually what mentalization is. It's listening to each other in an atmosphere of respect, not necessarily agreeing. I don't think we're gonna get the Republicans to become Democrats or vice versa but just to be decent to each other. Mm -hmm. uh, in one of my books, I talk about how, how do you have Thanksgiving again with people who haven't been speaking for four or four plus years, but how do you do that? And I think that uh, just being respectful of someone else's opinion is really important. If they get out of hand, then I think maybe they're disinvited from the table, but right. um, 
you have to be able to listen to other ideas. And somehow, sometimes that's very hard to do. So what do you think some of the core fundamental things that need to be healed from that era? Like, what is it like in your book, um, your second book, when you said it, the aftershock of how the Trumpian projective identification and um, resurgence of populism are changing the landscape all over the world. Yeah, and I'm now writing a book about populism all over the world. But I think it's important first to be talk, for me to talk about just very briefly projective identification because it happens all the time in all kinds of ways. Trump was a master at it, but um, another another term that I use instead is blame shifting. So I think so. I think we all know that whether you like Donald Trump or not, if you uh, in a moment of silence with yourself, I think people know that he blamed everyone else. It was never his fault. He never took responsibility, never said he was sorry. It was always the other guy, whether it was women or whether it was um, Biden, Biden's, Biden's son, who, whoever he was talking about. He sort of, he loved people until he decided they were no good, then it was their fault. So projective identification is projecting something about yourself that you don't like, and then saying, hmm, it's not me, it's you. You're, you're the one who did it. The problem with this is that the recipient of the projection or the person who has received the blame can often start to feel that they are actually uh, damaged or that they, they are doing what the other person is saying. It, the projection is coming from the first person, person A, mm. Trump, but someone else could start to believe, well, is he right? Uh, how could that be? A good example is domestic violence. A man comes home, he's just ranting, raving. Maybe he had a bad day at work um, and he comes home and he starts ranting and raving about his wife. And maybe he shoves some plates on the floor and tells her she's a sloppy housewife. Well, it's really, it's really about him. But if someone's vulnerable, they can think, oh, am I really messy? Did I really do that? So over time, that just really seeps in and they can have major problems. So it's, it's so some of the traits of a narcissist, maybe we should some maybe some people listening uh, wouldn't know some of those basic things. So of course, blame shifting is was one of them, mm -hmm. not being able to uh, listen and understand your role in maybe an interaction or a conflict. What are some of the yeah, no empathy, no empathy. Um, they often uh, have well, they have to be right. Uh, they don't apologize. Mm -hmm. um, uh, all of the things that are um, very boastful. Right. Uh, very arrogant. Kind of grandiose in their thinking grandiose. that they're better. They're better than the others. Better than everybody else, mm -hmm. probably mm -hmm. including you. Yeah. Yeah. If you're associated with them, and then right. they may be okay. But um, they also, underneath this thin veneer of bravado and now being Mr. Tough or Ms. Tough, they really are pretty insecure, but they can't let anybody see this. So they have all these ways of fighting off this deep insecurity. 
Mm -hmm. I don't know if people often realize that, but I think, well, I'm not Trump's therapist. So <laughs> but we all know people who don't feel good about themselves, but you wouldn't know it from their words. Mm -hmm. they, they talk about how wonderful they are, how great they, ha they have the best car, the best house, the best this, the best that. But most of the time that's a cover. Right, because so they're so busy uh, creating the facade um, so that they need to maintain this facade because the fear, like you said, is the, that the thin veil would really show that small little part of them, that part of them that feels so small that they're, they're working arduously hard to ensure that nobody sees that. Yeah. 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 And so of course, you know, and you think of what um, was happening, you know, in the U S with so many people were in pain just by, unfortunately, like you said, it was like an implicit I was, I was sometimes people would say explicit, it, inciting, using some coercive things that people didn't even know they were in the kind of the malaise of it. Right. Right. right? And it was nonstop, like not ongoing. And, and, you know, you would, you kind of look at things. Yeah. I, I know looking at, or just talk, having people talk about it, they'd go, can you believe, you know, that was the thing. Can you believe what? And then we'd be like, Oh my God, like yeah. is, is nobody going to rail this man? <laughs> is nobody going to grab his phone from him and, you know, tell him he can't tweet that? It would just, yeah, yeah, after yeah. a while, it was kind of, you know, you kind of looked and you said, I think we're kind of like in a movie. And somebody's yeah, yeah. going to like, you know, hit eject or <laughs> timing myself, but hitting, okay, this has, has got to end. And obviously it took a lot for that to get. So I think a lot of people, you know, globally, not just within the US, everybody was just really, fearful of watching the way things were going down. Um, Absolutely. And what I'm finding more and more as I research and write this next book on populism, that this is like Trumpian populism is, it's burgeoning, it's, it's emerging all over the world. Now, some of it was already there, but in some places in, in well, Eastern Europe, the Philippines, um, in various places, it's just popping up and it, it looks like a carbon copy with cultural differences, but it looks like a carbon copy of what happened here in the last four years. And it's really scary. For one thing, I just happened to see yesterday that reporters are, um, they're getting attacked in various places by police. There were some in Minneapolis, uh, a reporter was arrested, not for anything outrageous, but just because the person was there in, in a protest. And so one thing that, one common element in populist countries is that free press gets shut down. And when I saw that reporters were getting, and I read some things last June, but, uh, or, and into the fall about this, when I saw, saw this happening, it, it just made me think, where are we going? Uh, so tell me, tell me a little bit about populist environments, because I'm not, you know, I have limited knowledge and I'm wondering if, you know, people listening, you're saying it's, it's showing up. So you're saying a concept where potentially these, these kinds of behaviors are showing up more in subcultural contexts, like smaller environments where people are being led by somebody that's where their vision is skewed? Is that what populist is? Uh, uh, 
It's, it's basically, I think there are a couple of uh, consistent elements. One is, it's basically the poor versus the elite, but it gets very tricky because the person who comes in to quote unquote, save the poor actually then becomes very corrupt and mm -hmm. very dictatorial and very authoritarian because okay. that person wants to, they want to be the king of the, they want to rule the land. The king right? of the castle. So they come in in alignment with the, with the um, impoverished or the, the person, the poor, like you said, and they maybe do certain things to kind of gain a grounding they gain populace, you know, in, in sectors that potentially would not have maybe potentially listened to their rhetoric in the past. And then somewhere within that space, this, you start to see a shift where there is autocratic behavior taking over at some point. Absolutely. And then everything is taken over by the state, sometimes more quickly and sometimes it's not as, as quickly, but Media is taken over, schools are taken over, universities, libraries, museums, everything becomes state-run. State so uh, there, there aren't private entities for the most part. Mm -hmm. That's why when I saw this, this um, attack on reporters, I was so concerned because I'm not saying we're heading in that direction, but that piece didn't look very good. What's concerning if you have after what's, you know, with the Trump era to see this, and obviously it's it's an area you've been obviously researching and doing work with in, for a long time. So is it that you're looking at the collective and being concerned about how um, power can implicit, explicitly in this way, case, impact people's psyche and that that can impact overall our society, kind of the, the violence that we saw, saw in Washington, um, you know, the, the, you know, the Black Lives Matter and kind of how that went and, you know, what really was the truth behind some of the riots? Was it incited by, you know, we've heard so many things, but the, then the thing becomes, you know, at the end of the day, we're, we're in a mess, right? And people are to decipher what is real, what is not, who, you know, what is good, what is bad, and, you know, what side of the fence should I stay on? Yeah. The other thing I, I wanted to mention, I think the other component in, in, in populist countries is that is they're all anti-immigration, which just by definition makes them very racist, because there's somebody, there's some group of people they want to keep out. It's, it's not necessarily all people or visitors, but they, they target a group for one reason or the other based on their culture. And then that group is, is becomes like subpar and they can be very brutal to these people. Mm -hmm. I mean, they don't have the rights that people in the country have. They, uh, they often don't have adequate housing, whereas they help other people who are poor. So it, it's really, it's really strikingly bad if there's such a phrase. So with that in mind, and with what I would say, you know, now the shift in power, how do, how do, how do we heal from this? Well, I think people have to start talking 
opposing groups, as I was suggesting before. But I think that needs to be operationalized. How is it that we get groups of people to who have different views about how the country should be run? And I'm talking about level-headed people, not people on the fringe. But how do we get them to talk? It's, it's vitally important to let other people have a voice, even if you disagree with it. So I think that we have to start organizing somehow groups of people who get together and talk about uh, talk about their feelings about this, their political views, their views on gun control. You don't have to like it. And gun control is particularly uh, a very difficult thing to talk about because of all the violence that has increased lately. But people, basically people just need to be able to state their views. Right, now, and that's the part of the healing process, right? Because here we're saying everybody's in fear, right? All the, the, the you know, major disruptions that we've seen, whether in your country or just globally, and we're not seeing any end in sight. And then we know as human beings, what we what do we need? We need pockets of certainty. We need to kind of feel like we have some semblance of control, but that's something that's been, I would say, elusive is probably not the right word at best. You know, we've been living in this, this limbo and it continues over and over again. You know, I, like I said, um, we just recently extended a lockdown that started three weeks ago you know, here in Ontario, Canada, you know, yet again, right? Um, so it's it's going to take a, t a while for us to feel, I'm going to use the word safe, and you and I know what that means, but it's a collective safety that we've, we've lost. There is one concept that I've, I've heard about lately that I think makes sense. And I don't know about the group per se, I just know about how they're or how they came together. I, I believe Lincoln had this used the term better angels in a speech. And so I think they were known as the better angels. Now they've become, I believe, the brave angels or braver angels. That basically there are people, and this started, I think, in 2000, around the time Trump came into office. So it predates the insurrection and it predates some of the very difficult things that happened. But the idea was to, to get Democrats and Republicans, the same number as I understand it. This is just from what I've read. So if they have a group, they have the same number of Democrats that they have Republicans. And they get together in various cities and talk about very heated but important issues. So something based on that type of model, I think needs to get started where there are activists who will put this together, who are organizers, activists and organizers who will put these kinds of groups together. There are lots of things people can do, but I think we need to do something that's tangible. Mm -hmm. uh, we can talk globally about, we should do this and we should do that. I, I think on the ground, setting things up is gonna be really important. So starting microscopically, right? Like a bit, you know, a bit at a time and 
uh, as uh, like with this uncertainty and what I think what it's done to the overall psyche of, of most of us is that, you know, what is the new normal, first of all, which whatever that is, but again, just starting at the group, let's use the word grassroots where you have these um, subsets of people that's willing to almost like in a way, create a space of safety to mediate um, on some pretty big topics and going from like in your case, state to state or, you know, city to city, just kind of talking about really and having people use their voice again, right? Like, which is what I talk about a lot with about being your authentic self and your voice, right? So like you said, whether you're on this side of the fence or this side of the fence and you're going to be polarized potentially how do you bridge that gap so that people can feel heard and like and i mean this may be trivializing but to agree to disagree but at least have a respect um, to be able to go back to you know kind of people living together again versus there being such um i'm going to say volatility which like you said has erupted for a short such a long period of time and you and i know as a psychotherapist that if you don't address um, the space that with those, with I'm going to use the word disillusionments or these bombs that have gone off, you can't move on. You have to address this first to be able to kind of recreate a platform uh, to move forward from. Yeah, I think one of the main purposes is to talk, but also to build a sense of community again. So many people feel like they don't have a community anymore. So if you're with people in a community forum or a group forum, and you're talking about various ideas, you get to know the person on the right and the left. Mm -hmm. And you might think, well, gee, this is a sensible guy, or this is a, this woman makes, makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. So it's like really knowing people in your community. I think that's sort of what, what is the kind of, key element that might make this work. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's great to talk to people in various cities, but if you meet regularly to talk to people who you get to know and you realize, well, this person of color, this is a great guy. Mm-hmm. Where have I been all my life? I mean, that's, I think, how you break down some walls in racism as well. When you, you meet a person who's from a different culture and you realize this is a this is a family member. This is a wonderful person, just like my family. So, right, because if you're not um, spending time with someone, you you, you may, not, may not recognize there's so much basic affinity. Um, because you know, if you're say, for instance, with you guys from the south and you know the north and all those differences, and um, you know, whereas here in Canada. We still, we still have the same kind of problems, but we're just, there's just not the great divide, but it exists, you know, with, yeah. with our, um, you know, our parity issues or, or, or cultural issues, is, they're the same, but it's not as height, it's heightened, but it's not as heightened as public as we see out there with you, you know, in the US. Yeah. So um, let's talk a little bit about the people that you're seeing right now with all the things we're talking, which we've got, we're, we're, we're at, I love that you've done this work, Karen, you know, because um, I think oftentimes people don't stop to think about that, right? We kind of have a perspective, but to look at it and to really deconstruct it and say, wow, this is, this is our time. We are, 
we are in the history books, aren't we? Like, you know, this time is going to be, you know, it's going to be interesting, you know, with my grandchildren or great grandchildren, you know, when to have these conversations, because we're actually living through this and we don't know what to do. And, you know, you know how I, I was doing an interview earlier today with a CEO and, you know, we were talking about the fact that trust was needed before, but trust was a concept and now it has to be a reality. Absolutely. It's brought us to our knees in that um, we want deeper things, even though we're in fear. Absolutely. Um, I think people, well, as I, as I said earlier, because of the pandemic and because of the insurrection, the violence that's erupting more frequently, or so it seems, mm-hmm. I, I think people are really frightened, but they don't want to remain frightened. They want to come out of their houses. Some are beginning to feel a bit of relief because there's an end in sight with COVID, hopefully. Um, And I think that they, what I'm hearing is they want to get involved in something where there's meaning. So Mm -hmm. it's it's about, they want to be authentic. They don't want to fake it anymore. Mm -hmm. I hear people say, "I, I don't want to just go out with the Joneses or the, this group or the, that group just to go out. I want to go out with people who really mean something to me. So when you start thinking about your community and who you want to associate yourself with, then that also leads to who you want to be yourself. Mm-hmm. I think that there's going to be soul searching who I really want to be without all the frills. Uh, and that of course is, the essence of authenticity mm-hmm. um, and and uh, on an individual basis I often um, think of D.W. Winnicott's true self and false self I, his idea he came up with this in the I believe it was 60s it could have been a little bit before that but his idea was well a true self is somebody engaged in life doing what they want to do Mm-hmm. where they have a passion for. Uh, Joseph Campbell, I think, called it in the 16, 60s, following your bliss, but doing what you really have mm-hmm. uh, a, a real deep desire to do. Um, if you do that and you're true to yourself and you're not listening to this one or that one or parents or spouses, significant others saying, no, you ought to do this instead, mm-hmm. uh, then that's being, well, that's accessing your true self. But what happens is that people want to be, they want to belong, they want to be approved of, they want to be part of a group. And I'm not criticizing any of that, but that's what leads people to this false self state where they're doing things that other people want them to do. Mm-hmm. Not what they really, what they want to do themselves. Sometimes it, there's, there's some examples that come to my mind. It can be with very little things. Like mm-hmm. someone will say in couples, they'll say, well, when we go out to dinner, I never say where I really want to go. I never tell right. <laughs> my significant other where I want to go. I yeah, just yeah. inside and I say, well, you have no, you have no opinion about what you want to eat. And they'll say, well, yeah, but it's not that big of a thing. Mm-hmm. Well, but that happens if it's happening in that on that level. It's probably happening in other areas too, where mm-hmm. other people are directing your life. 
And so I get people to start with very small things. Well, maybe when you're asked next time where you'd like to go to dinner, maybe it'd be good to have an opinion because maybe you're in the mood for Chinese food and maybe you're not. Yeah, maybe you've had Chinese food one too many times and it's time to make a shift. Maybe you want want a good pizza. (laughs) So, So you think that people, because we've been locked off from all the things that distract us, I'm wondering what your thoughts are on this, that it's really... Would you say it's brought people to to come to terms in the quietness of what makes them authentic? And do you think most people are feeling that? Or are you finding that people are going the other way where they're trying to distract with every kind of dysfunctional element that they can? I think it's across the board because there has been uh, quite an increase in domestic violence since the pandemic started. So I think it's working well for people who have a good relationship. Various people, a number of people say they're closer to a significant other, but that's only if the dynamic is working. Mm-hmm. If it's not, things are they're probably not thinking about a true self if they're having terrible problems with their their the person they're living with. And it's also been very hard on people with children. Yes. Because, and I think it's it's not just mothers, fathers. I have fathers who call me from their cars because they've been home, they've been working homeschooling their kids. They get a little bit of a break. They think they can run out and get a little peace for 50 minutes and then they run back and do another assignment. So it's been really hard for families when they've had to, nobody really signed up to be somebody in the workforce and to be a teacher mm-hmm. and to um, take care of all the things one has to take care of to run a family. So there, there are plenty of real life things that have distracted people. But I think when things settle down, when kids are back in school, when there's more of a routine again and, and people do the work they do, however they do it, I think there will be some soul searching. Um, one aside, but... Uh, it just makes me think about permanent change versus uh, temporary change. So in three years, will everybody be back in the same rat race that they were in, or will there be something different? I watched something, um, uh, a documentary on the planet, and the planet profited, the environment profited from COVID because in so many cities, the sky is bright mm-hmm. and the animals have come out and they're mating more. And they're, it's just amazing what the environment has, what's happened with the environment. Um, there was one young man who was a photographer in India and he hadn't seen the Himalaya, the mountains before, but he, he was just shocked. He went to this building and he was able to take this, this beautiful mountain range that he hadn't been able to see for his whole life in person. So will people, Miss the question is, will people take advantage of this opportunity to change a bit? And nobody's gonna change 100%, but uh, to capture this moment when our environment is not in the greatest shape, but our planet, will they make some permanent changes? And so I think the same idea holds true for 
families? Are they going to, and businesses, are they going to do something different with their employees? Are they going to allow people to work remotely? Or is everybody in three years going to be right back where they were? So I think that's a question that we all really have to answer. So it's interesting that you talk about nature, right? Because, you know, I've read, you know, different things where they say, like, naturally, when you when you slow, right, and you look around, I, I back onto the woods where I live. And I don't think I've ever seen that many birds, you know, I back onto a golf course. So of course, there's a lot of pesticides and stuff, obviously, and there's a bit of a brush. But you know, I was at a, a friend's place not too far from here. And she also backs onto the woods and uh, all of a sudden, and she was in a condo. So she, I'm, I'm a little bit removed from the golf course, but she's kind of close. And all of a sudden out of nowhere, there was like five deer and they, they kept coming closer, Karen. And I was like, we're like, I'm like, I said to my friend, I can't believe this is happening. So we, we slow, we moved quietly <laughs> and it was such a name and they kept coming closer. There was three babies and it looked like, I'm going to assume my mom and a dad or two moms or whatever. And we, we thought, okay, well, we're going to, you know, try to feed them, but we're of course doing it, you know, in a very slight way. <laughs> and they just stayed and we were like blown away in all. And I've lived in this home for like 25 years and I'd never experienced something. I was like, I was, profoundly I thought okay universe thank you for letting me have this experience because uh, they got so close and they stayed you know so it's amazing what's happening right and if we could learn from some things naturally that are happening um, in nature really like to your point yes we were in the we're going through a lot of adversity but there's so much beauty too that's kind of being shown to us in a different way and, and what you said is being shared, that feeling is being shared by people all over the world. Um, that they're seeing nature deer and various other animals are, are coming into communities. It's, it's really pretty phenomenal. So people have had the same experience you're talking about. There, there's one place, I'm not exactly sure where it, where it is, but... Uh, so tribal people planted um, food that they, they, they uh, grew to eat and the elephants were coming into, into the villages at night and they were taking the food. And they thought of something that was very clever. They planted an area just for the elephants and, <laughs> and the elephants just went to their area. They never went back to the place where the people's food was planted. That, that's pretty phenomenal. That's, I know a fascin that's a fascinating story, Karen. Yeah. Wow. You know, and so I think as much as we, you know, when we talk about, like you said, the populace and what is and all the things that we've all gone through is that there is such, you know, such beauty around us and things that we can notice and probably some natural rules of nature, which we, we often hear about, right? Like that we can it be, get more a bit more in tuned and I think that's what's happened I found like as I've coached um, certain people some people are getting it and they're they're opening up to a uh, lots of different things and then unfortunately people that are unable or uncomfortable with slowing and you know you know coming to grips with the crazy monkey in their brain 
and they're distracting over and over again, those seem to be the people that um, are employing more uh, dysfunctional strategies and that are making things worse in their life. And mm-hmm. so it's, it seems to be like, it's like a bit of a divide that way, you know? Well, I'd like to think, uh, I'm a realist, but I'm also an optimist. I, I think there could be hope if people have really ha- have had time, they still have time to really assess what they really want in life, what's really important versus all of the things people do just to keep up with as the saying goes, the Joneses, but really, really decide what's important for them as individuals, for their families. I think that this could be a new beginning. Now, maybe that's wishful thinking, but I hope it is for some people. I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Karen. I'm hoping it, that it is. You know, I was going through my closet today and I thought I hadn't worn a dress in a while. And I thought, today I feel like wearing a dress. You know, it's, it's so interesting. I'm going through my closet and I have so much clothes. And I think, you know, how I've shifted even, right? Like, and I'm thinking, and I love the dress I haven't, I haven't worn it probably in about a year and a half. And I thought, and it didn't, I, I was kind of overwhelmed with all that was in my closet because I thought, do I need all of this? Yeah. Truly? Yes, we all like nice, pretty things once in a while. But I looked at the extent of what I was looking at and I thought, this doesn't make sense anymore. I know I had a similar experience. I I moved into a house during COVID. So some some of my clothes ended up in a downstairs bedroom closet. And everything else is was upstairs. It was put upstairs. And that's where it stayed. I haven't touched those things. I've been wearing what's in the downstairs closet, washing it, wearing it again. And, and I've had the same realization. Do I really need all of that stuff in the upstairs closet? I think the answer is no. <laughs> I think I think you're right as well. So for people listening, like we've talked, you know, we started off very macro and I'm going to say a bit, I'm going to use the word dark because if we were to really sit with our feelings, and I know you, you and I, you know, we we are in the space where you should sit and really sink into what you're feeling. There's a lot going on. But if there are people out there that are really just saying, you know, I'm sad. Uh, I, I, you know, I hear what you're saying, but I, I'm struggling. What are some, what are a couple of tips that you could give them, Karen, from, from your wisdom and expertise to, to guide them to the spaces that we've been talking about? Well, I think some people can do this by themselves and some people need a guide. Mm-hmm. If people can do it by themselves in a quiet time or place where they have a moment to just kind of take a self-inventory of you know where they've been, Some people like to write these things, could be written in a journal, but where they've been and where they want to go. And if they want to go someplace that they haven't been, how are they going to get there? Like, what are the goals? Uh, How, how, what do they have to do to change to be able to live the life they want to live? And some people can do that by themselves. I, th- I think other people need a guide and, mm-hmm. and often a guide is a therapist. And it's sort of like going, it could be Yosemite, it could be any, any park, any place in the world. Yes, these days you can get your phone out, you can get 
some kind of Google map or some other map for that particular place or an app. And, and you can go through that forest or the, that um, park. But if you go with a guide, you're going to see many more beautiful things that you've never mm -hmm. seen before. You're going to see some of the deer you're talking about and other animals. And sometimes it's good to go with a guide because then you've gone down other paths that you wouldn't have gone down because of the experience of the other person. And at the end of the trip, you can go back to that path again and, and go down it by yourself. So. Well, I've never heard it put that way because generally maybe I should try that delivery when <laughs> you're trying to explain it to people because most people are afraid to talk to people like you and I. Um, and I often say it should be, this is my analogy. I said, you know, when we go to a doctor's office, we sit in the waiting room, oftentimes way too long with 30 other people. And when you see a psychotherapist, it's like, you know, high level mission where nobody's going to run into anybody for fear that they'd have something going on. And I said, I'm not until we get to the space where we can all sit and wait in the waiting room at the same time, thinking we all got something going on before we go in, are we, are we going to be there? And that's where I think, uh, mental well-being, will the acceptance that our mind is equally as important as our body, and as a valuable, and it's one and the same. That we we that's when we'll see potentially. I hope in my lifetime, the shift to where people would would just you know just relish in it and and accept um, that that's a that's a part of us that we need to keep um, equally as healthy um, because it's a part of our body, you know. So Karen, I've so enjoyed our time. I'm sure uh, my listeners are going to enjoy um, the space that uh, you brought with all your amazing writings and the perspective, which oftentimes I think we may not speak about um, from a, I would say, a macro level all the way down to the, to, uh, the micro. So for people that are wanting to get connected with you or maybe wanting uh, to buy some of your books or anything else that you, you offer, let people know where they can get a hold of you. Well, they can, um, my email address is available, um, which is, well, the spelling is a little bit different, but. Well, you know what, Karen, you can spell it, but you can send it to me as well. And I will make sure it goes in the okay. show notes. That, okay, that would be good. I also have a, a website. Uh, I have an Instagram account that I post on uh, every week regularly. So um, okay. I'll send you that information. Awesome, awesome. Well, thank you so much for everybody listening. Um, yes, it's been a tough time on all of us, but um, look around, enjoy, and think about what is it that you can let go of that you no longer need, like my clothes in my closet and that what Karen shared too. Let go, try to let go and, um, relish the moment we will get through this um we are resilient and uh, potentially at the other end of it there will be something a little bit more appealing for all of us not just our countries but hopefully globally so again karen thanks and for anybody wanting um, any information on the authentic leadership uh please go to roxanderhodge.com Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom blueprint. We'll see you next time 
on Authentic Living with Roxanne.